Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25, this is God's Word. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May God grant his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Jesus was popular. Large crowds were following him. But Jesus knew that large crowds would turn against him. Jesus knew that even though there were a lot of people who wanted to see the miracles and experience his miraculous provision and healing and all that sort of thing, they didn't really want to give their lives to him. They were there for the show. But they weren't true followers. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now, he's speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to his fans. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. What in the world? 
I mean, Jesus, why would you say such a thing? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge uh, turnoff to people. I mean, people are not going to want to follow you if you say things like that. You've got to hate your father and mother. Does this mean you're supposed to want bad things to happen to them? That you're supposed to try and sabotage their life? Not at all. Not at all. If you look back in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, we have the story of Jesus' mother and brothers coming to interrupt what he was doing as Jesus did the will of the Father. He was so busy ministering to other people that he didn't have time to eat. And when mama heard that her boy was not eating, she thought he's lost his mind. Mark tells us that. And so she and Jesus' brothers went to round up Jesus. They were going to take him and try and nurse him back to health. They were going to look after him. Their motives were very sweet. Their understanding of the situation and their plan was very wrong. It's just one of the incidents that the Gospels give us concerning where the the wonderful mother of Jesus got it wrong and tried to do something that was not right. So I thought Mary was sinless. No, Jesus is sinless. Mary is his mother, and she was a great lady, most blessed of women. But she needed a Savior. Jesus is the only one who can save. So Mary had come with the brothers to get Jesus, and it was so crowded that they stood outside and just sent word in, um, tell, tell Jesus that his mother and brothers are here. This is in Luke chapter 8. We already studied it. But Jesus didn't go out to them. How rude. They've traveled a long distance. This was not easy for them. They did this out of love. But Jesus knew that he was doing what the Father had told him to do. And so he would not be distracted or dissuaded by family. Jesus said when they told him, your mother and brothers are outside, he said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't have a close second. You can't have, you know, well, Jesus is most important, but then, you know, all these people, I have to balance it. No, you don't have to balance it. You've got to die to everything but Jesus. So I don't love them anymore? No, you still love them, but the best, most loving thing you can do for your family is to follow Jesus in wholehearted obedience. Please get that. The most loving thing you can do for your family is to follow Jesus in wholehearted obedience. And if it upsets them, if it confuses them, 
if it causes them to oppose you and ridicule you and try and stop you and tempt you in other directions, don't give in. Follow Jesus. That's what your family needs. So when Jesus talks about hating them, he's not talking about wishing them ill. He's talking about not wanting anything to do with anything or anybody that's going to pull you away from wholehearted devotion to him. That is what is essential. You've got to hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. Well, come on, I, you know, do you have like a junior disciple status? You know, I mean, like maybe a, a, a paradisciple or a, uh, I don't know what we could call it, like a, a normal Christian status. Folks, that's not Christian. Tragically, we've made a lot of people think it is. Churches have been filled up with people who think that just because they believe stuff that the devil knows is true, that they're Christian. That's not true. A Christ follower is someone who follows Jesus regardless of the cost. And and that's not some artificial standard I came up with because I've got a twisted personality. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father or mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I have heard preachers say, well, you have to understand, not all Christians are disciples, okay? The disciple is somebody who's, who's more disciplined and serious about their walk, but, but you don't have to be a disciple in order to go to heaven. You know what? Those preachers need to get saved. Because what they're saying is, you know, Jesus here was talking to the crowds, but, but, but he was really talking about the difference between the most Christians and, and the elite. No. Jesus says, anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I, I don't want to be a disciple then. A cross? Are you kidding? A cross was not a little thing to wear around your neck. A cross was a, a big, heavy thing to die on. It was a place where people were tortured to death. Jesus says, you've got to be ready to die if you're going to be my disciple. Well, in that case, a lot of people are not going to want to be his disciple. Right. And the best thing that could happen is for them to know that and not kid themselves and be among those who are described in Matthew chapter 7 who on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? We were were on your team. Remember, we were were in ministry. Jesus says, I'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Pastor, would you come back to that scripture a lot? Yeah, because, 
Jesus said there are going to be a whole lot of people who thought they were on the team and it's going to turn out they weren't. Jesus said that. Why would he say that? It's a warning. It's a warning. There will be many who will say to me, not some, there will be many who will say to me, Lord, Lord. So, what Jesus is saying here is that it's like, it'll cost a lot if you want to be a Christian. If you want to be a real Christian. I mean, I thought Jesus paid it all. He did. Well, then why does it cost me something? Because you can't have both and. If you're going to do the will of God, you're going to have to make choice after choice after choice after choice. Before I met Mrs. Wood, I said to one of my friends, there are three girls that I'm really interested in, and I think I could be happy married to any of them. Okay? There's this one, I described her, and there's this one, and I described her, and there's this one, and I described her, and I said, and they're all Christians, and they all, but, you know, but I'm just not, not really sure. And I'm thinking maybe I should just kind of delay the whole marriage thing and, and focus on grad school, and, and, you know, I don't. And then I met Mrs. Wood. And it's been really great. We've been married now over 45 years. And it's wonderful because fortunately, she did not require me to choose. See, I was able to go ahead and marry this one and this one. That one bowed out. And then I, I married Mrs. Wood and I've got three wives. Do you think? Not a chance. Not a chance. You got to choose. Well, but this one has these wonderful qualities and this one has these wonderful qualities. And I'm just... Can I have a little bit of this and a little bit of that? No. Doesn't work that way. And you see, we've got tons of people who want, you know, maybe even a whole lot of Jesus, but not the whole thing. There's some parts of him that just really kind of scare me. Okay? So, I mean, some stuff he says like this, you know. <laughs> I don't get it. And, and I really, you know, if, I've, if I am forced to choose between Jesus or my family, I'm I'm sorry, but I love my family. Well, and you clearly don't love Jesus. Jesus goes on to tell two more stories about people who need to count the cost. He says, before you undertake a building project or before you go to war, you better count the cost. Jesus wants us to understand there's great cost involved. Well, okay, how much does it cost? Jesus told two stories. I had a lengthy discussion with someone yesterday about these two stories. One is a guy who's out plowing in the field of another man. Now, the fact that he's plowing another man's field tells you he is not a wealthy guy. But he's, he is out there as a day laborer doing a job for somebody else, plowing this guy's land. And he stumbles upon a treasure that's buried in the man's field. Well, I, this is fantastic. He goes, he sells everything he's got. Now, how much did he have? Well, not a lot, or he wouldn't have been plowing another guy's field. But he sells everything he's got, and he goes and he buys the field, and then he's got the treasure. <laughs> then Jesus tells a story about another guy. 
This guy was a merchant of fine pearls. And he had quite an inventory of wonderful, beautiful pearls. He was a wealthy man. But in his travels and searches, he found one pearl that was so spectacular, he sold everything he had, got rid of all his other pearls in order to be able to buy that one pearl. Because that one pearl he knew was worth more than everything else he had. Okay, poor guy, rich guy. One guy stumbles on the treasure. The other guy has been searching. What do they have in common when they find the treasure? It costs them everything. Well, wouldn't you say that this guy probably paid a lot more for the pearl than this guy did for the land? Because this guy, you said, didn't have much to begin with. Listen, whether you are young or old, whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, educated or uneducated, you can afford to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, but it'll cost you everything. So I don't know if I have enough money. Oh, you can't buy it with money. You just got to let go of everything. Everything. If somebody was robbing me. They said, I want it all. I want you to empty your account. They take it all. So they take that. Okay, now is that it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you cleaned me out. So you got nothing in your pockets. Oh, well, I've got, yeah, I've got a little, little money in, in my pocket. Okay, I want that too. <sighs> now I got nothing. Really? You got a car? Well, yeah. yeah, I want the car. You know, I'm going to have to just travel around in my four-wheeler. Oh, you have a four-wheeler? Okay, I'll take that too. So I'm going to have to walk everywhere? Yeah, but you're going to have to do it barefoot because I'm taking all your shoes. What? And the rest of your clothes. Are you serious? Yeah, it'll cost you everything. If somebody took literally all my earthly goods, my house, everything, and all my clothes, and I got, I mean, I'm just an impoverished, naked man, and I say, I've got nothing left, that would still not be true. What have I got left at that point? Your body your mind, your knowledge, your skills, your breath, your time. What does Jesus want from us? Everything. Everything. We have to come to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. It's not my house. It's your house. It's not my wardrobe. It's yours. If you tell me to give this to so-and-so, I don't say, wait, that's mine. I say, yes, sir. Money that's in the bank, it's not my money. It's my responsibility to manage, but it's God's money. 
Well, no, I, I understand God demands 10%. No, God had the people giving tithes so that they would remember that 100% belongs to God. God owns it all. It all belongs to him. Everything is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. All the woodland creatures, all the little frogs croaking, everything, it's all belonging to God. And so when we give to God, we're not giving him something that, and God says, oh, wow, for me? Really? Oh, I've always wanted one of these. God spoke the universe into being. We're not enriching him. We are remembering over and over that we belong to him. And so when Jesus tells us we've got to yield everything to him, it's not because God's impoverished and he needs our help. It's because we don't really understand the nature of reality until we realize that we are entirely dependent on God and couldn't draw our next breath apart from him. Jesus says, count the cost. Because I want you to know it'll cost you everything. But if you yield everything to him, then you discover abundant life. You discover what you were made for. I was talking with someone yesterday, a couple that's about to get married, about finances and how so many couples stress and argue and fuss over finances. And I said, if you understand that everything belongs to God, and that God has promised to meet every need in your life. He will give you, he's already promised, he will give his children everything they need in order to do God's will. Then I said, you're not going to stress about finances anymore. You're not going to worry about it. Because you may or may not get what you want, but you will get whatever you need in order to do what God wants you to do. God will give you everything you need in order to do his will. He's promised that he'll provide. You and I are entirely dependent on him. So the only intelligent thing to do if we know the truth is to say, I'm yours. Hallelujah. Have your way. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to do what you say. And therefore, when you do that, if Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee and you're busy cleaning the nets for your boat, for your fishing business, and he says, come follow me, what do you do? You do what his disciples did. You leave your nets and you follow him. Why? Oh, I never really liked fishing. No, after Jesus died, Peter said to his companions, hey, I'm going fishing, you want to go? It wasn't that they didn't like fishing or they'd given up on the fishing industry. It was just too much hard work. It was that given a choice between doing something, there was nothing sinful about cleaning the nets, but given a choice between doing something that in and of itself is perfectly legit or doing what Jesus says, boom, this goes, I'm following him. That's what he said to do. That's what we're called to. That's Christianity. But Jesus said, you got to understand, it's not a part-time gig. It's not a side gig. It's your life. Count the cost. Realize it'll cost you everything.
And well, I'm glad it doesn't start until you're in your 20s. Not so. It starts where you are, saying yes to Jesus. Lord, have your way. You can say that now, if you mean it. Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it's worthless. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.